I did almost run over Bill Clinton. And here we are. I'm on a podcast. I'm Alex Del Sor with the Rower's Choice Network. And this is another podcast interview. And it's it's something um, that I've been actually looking forward to because I know this person, but she doesn't know me. I followed her career because I love rowing and I love collegiate rowing specifically. And it's in an area that it's near and dear to my heart because you all know that I had a coach named Greg Meyer. He was at Wisco. He talked about Wisco. Then I became an expert about Wisconsin rowing and I have B.B. Bryans and man, a, a, a journey woman. She's been all over and we're gonna get into that. But B.B., thank you for being here on today's podcast. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Oh, thank you for that. So we're going to get right into it. I do the same thing every time. I want to know where you were, how old you were, and walk me through and walk the audience through where you found rowing and when you started rowing. I was 18 years old. I was walking the halls at University of Southern California as a brand new freshman, lost, of course, looking for a class room that I couldn't find. And this tall man was walking towards me, a little scary looking, but I stopped him and asked him where this classroom was, and he wouldn't tell me until I promised to come out for the first rowing practice because I looked like an athlete and, you know. So I said, okay, yeah, whatever. And he told me where the class was, and I, I it did pique my interest, but I wasn't really sure I was going to do what this man wanted me to do. But my roommate was also thinking about being a coxswain. So we got on the bus. And we, we uh, went down uh, the 10 to the port of LA in 1975. And um, yeah, he put me in the bow seat of the varsity eight. And that's how I started rowing. Um, and we were, we, were, we were harassed a little bit by the men there and uh, by their, mainly by their coach. The men were great, but the coach not so much. Uh, he didn't really like our presence uh, at the boathouse, but um, that's how it started. That's I fell in love on the very first row. Not, so 1975. I mean, you're yeah. aging yourself a little bit. I'm sorry, but, you know, 1975. I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> this is so, okay, this is cool. So 1975, you've been, in, you've been in the sport many, many decades. This is cool. So you found, they put you in the varsity eight bow seat. Mm -hmm. um, I actually don't know your style. How tall are you? I'm about 5'10". Depends on who's asking, but it's about 5'10". That's a, that's a tall woman for bow seat in a, in a boat. Right? Wow. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. So he put me where I could do the least amount of damage, apparently. Right. Not now, that that helped at all. I read your bio that you did some pretty competitive swimming. So were you yep. swimming and rowing or did you let that go at some point? No, I actually uh, had quit swimming. I quit high level competitive swimming when I was about 12 um, and then did like 10 sports in high school when you could still do that. Yeah. Um, and so when I, I was thinking about walking onto the swim team, but I, I didn't really like swimming anymore. And so this was just sort of a cool opportunity. And I, I thought I'd check it out. Then I went back, when I went back to, I took a circuitous route through college. Uh, but when I went back to college to finally finish, uh, I swam there at San Francisco State, and um, that was pretty awesome. So, well, I was coaching. <laughs> well, I, I do know that you were there. So, um, what kind of success did you have in college rowing? Like, did you did you win a lot of races? Did you have a good experience? 
I was in one college rowing race. And that was ahead of the harbor about three weeks after I'd started rowing. And I was um, five seed in the varsity eight. And I was in the second four. And I was also in a wary. So in that second four, about that was the third race of the morning. And I caught a gigantic boat stopping sideways turning crab about 10 strokes from the finish line. That was my that was my college rowing experience. <laughs> and here you are, decades <laughs> now, a program coach. That's funny. I, I can't. I got to figure out how, how we got from there to where we are today. So, 1975, you're doing. You go to San Francisco State. Uh, you find coaching. What made you want to coach this silly sport called rowing? Well. When I left uh, USC, I moved back up north. I'm a, I'm a northern, I'm a Bay Area girl. And um, I love the sport. I didn't like the school that much, but I love the sport. So there was a club in Oakland and uh, that had just started the Oakland Strokes uh, that had just sort of broken away from Lake Merritt and started their new thing. And um, I just got started with them and started rowing with them. And... Uh, Basically, the, the head coach, Ed Lickus, who is an absolute icon in, that nobody knows about in women's rowing, um, he was our coach, and he also was coaching a, a couple of different high schools out of the Oakland Strokes Boathouse. Uh, and they, then they'd come together in the summer and row as a club. And so he wasn't feeling all that well. I got to practice early one day because I was commuting up from, uh, from the South Bay, and he just asked if I'd take these kids out for practice. Piedmont High School. It was the boys. And um, I said, well, Ed, I've, you know, I've coached swimming, but I've never, you know, I don't even know how to row myself hardly. It's like, oh, you can do it. You got it. I said, yeah, but I've never driven a motorboat before. It's like, oh, you'll pick it up. It's easy. This was on the Oakland Estuary, which at the time was a third largest container ship port in the world. Um, so yes, I took them out. I did not kill them. I did not kill myself. And that is my claim to fame in that first year. Well, I also got the girls. So I had both, high, both Piedmont High School programs by this, really the second semester of me learning how to row. Um, he never took them back, so I inherited them. Uh, but they, they, they loved to row after that. So I, that's my claim to fame. I didn't kill them or anyone else, and they learned how to love the sport. So that's how I started. That's how I started coaching. Think about Definitely this. inventing the wheel. Every single turn of the wheel I invented for myself. So I like this because, you know, I, I'm called snippets. Your claim to fame in rowing was you had a boat stopping sideways crap. Okay. Yeah. And you won, you're like, I didn't kill anybody. So right. I'm two for two right now. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. I'm on a podcast. Who knew? Here we are. Um, all right. So, okay. So now we're into the, I guess, late seventies, early eighties. Now, is that where we are now in your, in your career with this yeah. thing? So okay. I said the strokes through the seventies coaching okay. and rowing there. And then, um, in 1980, uh, we started the Pacific, my, my soon to be husband and I, uh, Joe Meese, who was also a coach at the Oakland strokes. Um, we started the Pacific rowing club in San Francisco wow. and that was in 1980. So we moved over there and, um, started from scratch, and they're still a thriving program to this day, which is one of my proudest accomplishments, really. If you could give, let's say, 
a young man or woman who wants to start a program today, one piece of advice about starting a program, what would that be? Follow your dream and surround yourself with people who like to work hard. Mm. That's what, I think that's what Wisconsin's all about. It's just work hard. Like Greg Meyer, he made me hate rowing for a while, but it, like, you're going to work hard. And he would always say, I promise you, you're going to work harder than any other person in this sport. And it's the truth. Like we did, like we didn't, we trained harder. We put more effort in. Um, and I think that's like the Wisconsin way. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I think that's it. No, that actually is the Wisconsin way. And, and I learned so much when I came here um, from coach Clark, who's the men's head coach now that, you know, we have a lot of challenges here um, that stack on top of each other. And our job is, as, as the coaches, is to find a way. And that's what we do. And so we also train our athletes to be prepared for anything. So nothing that comes up at a regatta or in training or anything like that is going to throw them because they know how to be resilient and they know how to just take things in stride and get it done. You know, you made me think of another question, BB. Um, Chris Clark, I, yeah. I've known him for many years and I, I know his style. Is it, is it challenging to have, not just for you two, but like for men and women, a man and a woman to be head coach of a program? Is it, is it challenging to work with, get along with and coordinate with um, someone like at the collegiate level like that? Of course. What are some of the challenges that, that you may have faced in the past or even face now? I mean, I say, of course, just because you have, uh, you have two people that are passionate about what they're doing that their every moment pretty much is consumed with how do we make this better and how do we make it come together? Yeah. And one of the reasons I decided to come to Wisconsin was because there was a men's program, even though things are a lot more simple when it's just a women's program, the way we were at Michigan State. Um, but I really wanted that holistic feeling of having a big team together and having men and women and having uh, lightweights and openweights um, and really with, with coach Clark, he, we're both pretty consistent. And so we are who we are. We don't try to change each other. We don't try to, you know, to, to bend the other to our will and vice versa. We support each other. And so we do as much as we can together and whether or not that happens on the water, we are always supporting each other and hoping the best for each other. Number one, because we want you know, we want our colleagues to be successful, but also because it's better for the boathouse. You know, when, when one team is winning and the other team starts winning, it's better for everybody. Boy, you know, you're really touching on something here. Um, was that, so you've been with the program, I have 15, 16 years. 17, that, 17 I think. Been, I mean, I, longer than that, 20 right? Something. Yeah, 20 something. So, you, you know, I know we, we joked off camera, you're old, but um, it, that, that conversation, what you just said, didn't just happen year one. That's happened over the course of many years. Yes. That, right? Like, what was that first year like, if you can remember, of moving into a new program and, and meeting him and the rest of the kids? Um, again, I think I expected it to work. So I came in with that. And um, I think that's really important that you have – you know, an open mind. I knew that I was coming into a program that hadn't been very, um, they hadn't, the coaches hadn't got along all that well. So 
you know, I knew there, there would probably be some resistance there or some just sort of step back and wait and see. There really wasn't very much of that. Um, it, took, it took time for me to learn the ropes and I appreciated his willingness and his staff's willingness to, to help me with that and to help our staff with that. So, you know, there, there's, we don't need to have one upsmanship. You never do, hopefully. Um, we never have. Uh, and not to say everything's perfect because it's not all the time, but we make it work and we want to make it work. I like, I like that. I, I wrote down one to be successful. I, I put that in bold, like yep. you both, not just you two, like your assistant coaches, your boatmen, your athletes. Um, I, I think it's what 13, maybe more NCAA invites in a row for you, right? Like yeah. it's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. I know how hard that is. Like being a, being like outside of rowing, like once I left rowing, I always thought it was, oh, it was obvious. But then you're like, well, wait a minute. No, it's not. It's actually <laughs> hard. So congrats. This year, this year, honestly, well, I have to say this is the just overall, the team that we have in place right now has surpassed any and all of my wishes for them and my expectations for them. Um, and so the, the invite, um, we earned it, but it's, it's icing on the cake, honestly. I mean, we would have been really sad and disappointed had we not gotten it, but just everything that we went through and that they went through and the leadership that evolved out of this, this team, not just the seniors and the captains, they led it, but everybody was on board with what our mission was. And that is rare. I mean, and that's a gift that I'm so proud of them for. And the 13, the lucky 13, um, the cool thing is it's, it's the most back-to-back postseason appearances by any team on campus. Wow. And we've got, you might know that we've got a pretty good basketball team. <laughs> I'm we, just, we just took the crown. <laughs> I'm so much aware. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, so one of my questions, which you led me to this, is um, – 13 invites in a row, 17 years with the program. The, to build a culture is so hard. And, and today it's even harder. What advice do you have for that coach two years in, in a pandemic era about culture and about building that culture? What, what, using all of your experience, what, what can you say? Well, I can say first that I got it wrong to begin with. Um, you know, I came in and I thought, oh, coming from Big Ten to Big Ten and they want to be successful. And, you know, I missed a lot in, in, in that first couple of years that set us back a lot. A lot. Um, and so I would say, first of all, meet the team where they are and really find out where that is. Because you're coming in and joining them. And so you can't, you can try to come in and tell them what's going to happen and then expect them, you know, they're going to shake their head and say, yeah, that sounds good. So you expect them to be on board, but that isn't the case if you don't include them in the process. They need to be, they need to be part of the process because they are the team, you know? So we're, we're leaders and we're guides, but we're not the team. They're the team. Um, so include them, 
really get a really get a good feel of the skills that your leaders have and if they don't have the skills you think they need help them get them and or get them with them um but it it's a it's a it truly is a collaboration and if you think anything other than that you might have success you might have some speed but you'll never be as good as you could be that's a so that's an interest. It's really interesting you say this because again, I I told you I've interviewed so many people and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's a very female thing to say, and I and I say that's because men typically are egomaniacs, and they're mm-hmm. like you're doing it my way, and I don't give a crap what you say or do, and I just I really hope that the future coaches today because you know you know you're not doing this forever. And that the future coaches that take over Wisconsin and take over the other places do exactly that. They meet the team and they join them where they are. They include the athletes in the process and they find out the leadership skills and cultivate and grow and develop and not just come in and say, oh, I'm the head coach now. See you guys later. Well, and I think I'd like to add a little bit to that. Mm. Um, first of all, women can't, <clears throat> can't do that as successfully as men. Mm. It doesn't work. And that's part of the difference is that Women don't like women coaches to act like men. Men don't like female coaches to act like women. Uh-huh. And so, you know, you have to, you've got, again, you've got to be true to yourself. You know, you've got to have a, if you're going to be a head coach, you've got to be a confident person. And if you're not confident, you've got to act as if and sell the heck out of it. Mm. Um, and Being true to yourself is the most important thing. Actually, I think, you know, the the paradigm has been the my way or the highway thing. And that's worked very successfully for a long time. But I question that completely. I'm like, how much better would would these teams have been had it not been that way? But that's the expectation. And even for women who have had male coaches their whole lives, we struggle with that because, you know, the, the role they see females play, it's getting better, but it's still there. And, you know, society is what it is. It's not, it's not rocket science to see that we haven't progressed all that far. Um, But, you know, there's voices like mine who speak truth to it. And, you know, I think, I think my goal as a female coach is to show that if you're, if you're good at what you do, if you do the homework, if you prepare well, you know, if you keep learning, and you're consistent, you're honest, and you're kind, you're going you're gonna to do well by yourself. You're going to do well for yourself and for your team. You said something there, um, you know, 17 years at a program, being kind, trusting yourself, being true to yourself. I know, I know that you account a lot of your success to support you've had along the way, right? Absolutely. Who have, who specifically, if anybody or people have been there by your side, helping you when you said, Hey, coach, blah, blah, blah. I got a question or other, who can you say has helped me in my career? Thanks for asking that question. I think, first of all, Tony Johnson, um, you're, you're my God, uh, Kevin Sauer, the same. Yeah. Well, Tony was my, he was the same thing. He was the head coach when I was the women's varsity coach at Georgetown. And that was my first division one job. Right. And so I learned a lot from him. Um, We're, we're very different, very, very, very different. 
Um, and, and that was really helpful for me because I'd been a head coach, but at a smaller program and, um, you know, I didn't have very much experience and he did, and he was going to do things the way he did things. Uh, and so we clashed a little bit, but number one, he's the nicest man I think I've ever met. Um, two, I still am not in total agreement with everything that he does, but you know what? Um, he taught me how to not have to have everything slotted in. And, you know, he taught me how to be more flexible and more resilient, I guess. And then when I, when I went to Michigan state, Matt Weiss was my assistant and he then took over the program for many years and took it to much higher heights. Um, he was just a sponge. He, he wanted that team to be, he had, he had a better vision for that team than anybody else and still than anybody else. And, and I could not have, I could not have dreamed of a better person to go through that building process with the start a division one team from scratch. Um, he kudos to him. I'll never, I'll never forget that. I'll never um, take any more credit than he gets for what we were able to do, what we were able to do at Michigan state. Wow. And then here at Wisconsin, I would say every single coach that has been on my staff, We've had just amazing staffs. And the one we have now, really in the whole boathouse, is exceptional. It's exceptional. And it's why we've, you know, I think all three programs are better, at least as good as they've ever been. Again, we might not be the fastest or the strongest as we've ever been, but as far as unity and, and being a great team, that's where we are. And I think it's in large part to the staff that we have working together. You know, I, I we, we had a little bit of an of a glitch on on the internet here. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. What I'm just going to say is um, Tony Johnson has been that person for so many of the people that I've interviewed over this over the last year and a half. Well, he's and old too. He's, he's been around too. Oh, God, <laughs> old, yeah, and he knows it too. He knows it. <laughs> My, uh, I'll never forget. So he was there at Georgetown when I was rowing at GW. So I'm, I'm like 2004 to 2008 at GW. And uh, by the way, that 08 was the fastest Wisco men's team. because they Yes, it was. Right. Yes, it was. Oh, I, I have a love-hate relationship with all those guys. I, 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 I can still remember them coming down the course. But um, So Tony Johnson, he, he recognized me because I had, after college, gone back to D.C. and coached. So I was coaching a high school team. And he recognized me. And he was at the tail end of his career. So he was already, you know, semi-retired. And the comfort and the support he gave me, coach a bunch of high school kids, was awesome. Every other college coach at the at TBC would blow us off. And he was right there helping the kids pick up a boat, telling them to do this and do that. And it was the compassion that I learned from Tony. It's like, yeah. you know what? Sure. I, I want to beat all these guys and I want to win these races, but you know what? It's not about that. It's about supporting and helping the children in their journey. Who cares about the wins? It was wonderful. A wonderful. Yeah. Uh, he truly is. He truly is one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life. I, yeah, I, I listen, you're, you're preaching here. <laughs> you're preaching the choir. Uh, all right. So one of my other questions, and I think this is a kind of silly question. Um, you know, you did competitive swimming up to your 12. 
you maintain swimming in, in San Francisco a little bit. Which do you think is harder, competitive swimming or competitive rowing? Rowing. Bar none? Like Bar none. No, I did. I, when I swam at San Francisco State, so swimming as a kid, that's different, you know, because it's, I was Olympic track when I was 12. It sucked. I, I didn't like it. That's and I, it was, yeah. Um, I mean, I was a good swimmer, so there's that. But if you hate it, it doesn't matter. So I actually did, I swam for San Francisco state just on a whim. It was another one of those flyers that actually ended up being one of the best decisions I ever made because it really helped me learn how to be a really good athlete. I was a good physical athlete, but I wasn't a good mental athlete. And I figured some things out that helped me be a 10 time all American swimmer while I was coaching rowing, getting my degree and master's degree and married. So and working on the side. I mean, like, I, I think that I have a busy schedule. Of, man, <laughs> that's because, you know, 24-7, it's 24-7, right? Well, it wasn't back then. No. It wasn't back then. I don't know. I mean, even even like part-time high school coaches, they treat it like everything to them, right? right. Well, it was a big deal back then. You know, it was a big deal. And we were, those were the days, right? <laughs> Those are the days when I can do all that stuff and not pass out. Oh, right. You're just exhausted all the time now. <laughs> uh, so 1975. Now, I'm going to date you here again, but this is another interesting question. 1975 to 2022 coming up, 21. What's your favorite decade of rowing of all time? What was your favorite gaps of years? Um. That's hard. I don't have favorites really of many things. Um, Your fondest memories. I mean, was it the nineties? Was it the eighties? Was it, you know, even in the early two thousands as you're developing UW, like what was it? You know, I think it had to probably be the late 90, the nineties doing Georgetown and learning at Georgetown and then coming to, to uh, Michigan state and starting that program. And that first year team, that we had at Michigan State, they'd had a club team and they were pretty big, pretty fairly big team. They were not fast. Hmm. They, were not, they were not fast at all. But Matt did his magic and, and talk and really convinced the athletic department to bring on rowing as the sport they needed to bring on. And um, so we had all these club kids, we had no recruits and um, we took ninth at the NCAAs that year in the eight. These kids had never been in a racing eight before. And yet they were just, they got so much crap from, from a lot of people at state thinking, oh, here are these club kids. You know, we're just going to do, we're going to do what we need to do to be in compliance, but don't, you know, just do the minimum. And that was the way we were treated until we earned until we showed everybody that we deserved to be there. And that was the kids. I remember the very first couple of weeks we were there, once we were practicing, and I put a video on of um, Georgetown doing steady state. Yeah. And then I put a video on of them doing steady state. And I said, I know you guys are think, you think you're working hard. And you, you, know, you think you've always been working hard, but that was then and this is now. So let's look at that again. And they just looked at the two and they're like, okay, yeah, we got it. And that was the last time I had to tell them. And they got ninth at NCAAs in the eight. 
you know, you I mean, this is fascinating. Can I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is no, that's fine. I'm writing, I'm writing this down and I, I, I highlighted this, like the visual thing that you just said, right? So my first college coach was John Van Carey. Yeah. The guy, I mean, he's a South Jersey guy like me. So like yeah. the same language, but he said in, in the podcast interview that launches next week, he said, every sport has a visual or a sound that you say, Oh, that's it. Yep. Okay. Like the swish of a basketball, the hit of a golf club. And you just did something and it's the visual. They're like, okay, that is how you do it. And I remember, I'll never forget. He did the same thing to us. Now his visual in 2004 was the 2004 Olympic eight men's eight. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it right there. And every pimpled face kid on my team when we're 18 years old we're like got it okay just like michael jordan lebron james kobe o'brien like, always like that's how you do it and i like your style i like that you use that as a as a form of education well it yeah i mean you use whatever you can i got in the boat with them once at san diego we were with the crew classic that year and they just weren't the, the rhythm wasn't right. It just, I couldn't talk him into it. And so I had a launch out with me. And I, I luckily I had somebody in there with me that could also drive. Cause I'm like, stop, stop. Stroke seat, get out. <laughs> and I got in when I still could and just rode with them for a while and, you know, showed them what I wanted and showed them what it felt like. And that was another turning point that sometimes words don't do it. Yeah, it's you're you're it's rare to have a coach that can jump in the boat right with the athlete and 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 showcase what you want to do. And I you touched on something there. I think the best thing any rower could do is row with someone who's far superior. Like the moment you row with someone who's far superior, you realize that's how it's done. Yep. The Bo Hoopman, Wisco guy. Yep. Row with him, you're like, oh, that's how you do that. Oh, I, yep. I, got, I got it now. Like I, I got it. Because um, you'll never hear him say anything. He'll never ever say anything. Still, <laughs> but that's so funny. That's that's. I'm I'm writing one more thing down. So bear with me here. Um, so the other thing. Okay, this is interesting. Um, I'm jumping around. I it dawned on me as I, I was asking this question is, you were at Michigan too, and I forgot you were at Michigan. So my question. Michigan State. Michigan State. Oh, that there's a difference. Don't forget the state. Hey, CJ, edit that out. Okay. I don't want to... <laughs> for uh, your sake, not for mine. <laughs> I'll be I'll be shunned from Michigan State. But uh, you're a California, I'm gonna call you a California chick. You're a California chick, you're North Bay, South. If you Bay. have to. Got to. That's what you are, right? So <laughs> for 17 years, DC for a while, Michigan State. What's your favorite place? What's your favorite state? And don't and don't have a cop out and say, "Oh, California," because DC's that's beautiful. not a cop out. <laughs> DC and the Potomac is beautiful, and you know yes. it. So, out of all those places, where do you think? Say, "Oh, I just I love that." I'll never forget that experience. Well, DC is a bad place to be poor, and I wasn't I wasn't making very much money there, so I had to have a second job. But I had a second job. Okay. And uh, I was a bartender at, at, at the City Club of Washington, which was like a country oh. club without the country. I... So, yeah. Um, so I love D.C., though. I loved everything about it other than the rent. Um, but the fact that 
you know, the road, the Potomac is epic. It's epically good and it's epically bad. There's all sorts of great stories about the Potomac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that that would that's an, that's another podcast. But um, you know, I would say Michigan was not my favorite state to live in. Um, it had, I mean, the, the university was great and my little neighborhood was great. Um, but that's one of the reasons I came to Wisconsin, believe it or not, was that Madison is just awesome. There's something about Madison that's special. It's unique and the lakes are beautiful and the people are great. So I would say, um, I don't have a favorite. Sorry. How about this? I like them all. I like them all with Michigan a little bit lower than the other ones. All right. So then I'm just, I'm going to rank it for you then. How's this? I'm going to say California one. Yes. The two. Yes. Three. Michigan four. Yeah. I would, I would even say a tie between, well, I'd say DC. I'd say DC too. Yeah. We're there in such a wild time, not only in the economy, but politics and the growth of the city. Cause there at that era, DC got out of the that 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 cocaine and drug pandemic. It was it was ending, right? And yeah. it was just a, a fun place to be. It was a great place. I to did be. I did almost run over Bill Clinton, actually. You gotta tell me that story. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to pick up a recruit at the Georgetown Gates, and yeah. I was late, a little bit late. It was summertime, super hot. I had a little Jeep Wrangler. I had the top down. And um, so I'm, I cut a, I cut around a corner and there's the black suburbans, which means he's running around somewhere. I'm like, oh crap. So I turn around and I go down another block and try to get around that. I don't know why I thought I could do that, but nope, can't do that. So I took one last go and I turn this corner and there's no suburbans. So I keep going and I'm heading right for the Georgetown gate and I can see my recruit. And then I see Bill Clinton running at me. And I see the Secret Service guys like this and, you know, he's running right at me. And so I'm looking at him and he's looking at me. What do you say to the president of the United States? When, you know, I said, it, he looked pretty bad. He was running. He looked, he looked pretty bad. I said, you make sure you get enough water now. It's really hot out here. And he's like, okay. And he kept running. And I, I just drove off. <laughs> I... I would tell that story at every party, BB. <laughs> I forgot about it till just now. <laughs> that is a cool story. And I, I'll tell you, and I, I'm not just promoting DC, but only in DC could you do that. Right? Oh, yeah. Only in DC. Oh. We used to, when he first moved in there, <laughs> he used to go running around, right? And not really realizing the havoc he was causing. So we'd be out for morning practice and we could see the commute coming into DC and we could see it backed up all the way across Memorial bridge because he was running along the river, not really realizing that commute traffic couldn't come in while he was running. If you so that's how they built him a track, if you're the president, I'm going to run wherever the hell I want to run period. Well, they built him a track around the white house after that. <laughs> that's actually, they probably have one. We just don't know about it. It's underground somewhere. Uh, BB, I have one last question for you. This is, okay. so, I, 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 this turned out to be a blast. <laughs> you, I, you may not admit this or agree with it, but you were a, an integral part of the growth of the NCAA late nineties women's rowing. And it, I'm allowed to give you a lot of credit. So thank you for all that you've done. I think though, if I'm, if maybe I'm wrong, but 
pandemic, colleges closing down, the growth in the 90s and early 2000s. Are we still on that trajectory for women's rowing? Have we stalled? If we've stalled, how do we get better? Well, that's a very interesting question. And that's something that um, I'm working with some other people on the CRCA. We're on a sustainability committee with the CRCA. And okay. that's not only are we looking at sustainability of how to keep the programs that we have, um, but how to keep growing the sport. So are we on the same trajectory? Probably not because there's other options now. Um, and it's still a sport that most athletic directors and most people in athletics don't know much or anything about. And if you know anything about athletic directors, they don't like to have things that they don't know things about. So um, they can't, if they can ignore us, and I'm not speaking from personal experience, I'm just speaking in general. If, if they can, if, if you can just sort of ignore a sport and hope they just do their jobs, that's one thing. But when, you know, now we're not as obscure as we used to be. And, um, there's more, especially with the Title IX stuff that's coming out now, finally. It's only been 50 years, but hey, 35, who's counting? Um, you know, I think that's my, something I'm really interested in pursuing. Is, is that the next phase of BB's life? Is that the next phase for you? Is, is spending more time on the, the, the written law side of things and the growth of Title IX? It's something that I'm really interested in and I'm passionate about. So whether it's official or not, I think that's something that I would be really, I can't see myself not doing. Mm. I'm, it's sort of a calling and it has been since the very beginning. Uh, it's a, I mean, that's beautiful. You just gave me chills. Um, you know, we, we, we talk to junior athletes all the time and we talk to parents specifically. And like, I'm trying to get in people's heads. It's like, when you hear rowing, it's going to, it's going to not just get you in a boat. It's going to change your life forever. It's going yes. to be a better person. And, it, and the connections that you get and the lifestyle that you have. All right. Last thing, let's pretend that I'm a recruit. Let's pretend I'm a six foot one, <laughs> five, two K. Why am I going to row at UW? Why am I going to row at Wisconsin? You will never be challenged more. You will never be supported more. You will never be surrounded by more talented people, including staff and support staff uh, within the athletic department. You will never have the opportunity to get both a fantastic um, athletic experience, but also a first-class education. And we make sure you can do both. We don't, we don't limit what classes or majors you can have. We support whatever you aspire to be. Um, there is no limit to what you can accomplish here. If you want to be on the Olympic team, just look at, at uh, the three women from Wisconsin that are in the mix right now. Anything you want, you can get here with support and we will help you. Says the woman who almost ran over the president of the United States. <laughs> but I didn't. But you didn't. Vivi, thank you so much for this. This has been a pleasure. And everyone watching, if you want to learn more about Wisconsin, you know where to go. Thank you for watching or listening. We'll see you later. Thanks, you guys.